Well, good morning again to you. And as you probably know, this is the second Sunday of Advent. It began last week. And last week we lit the first candle, and that was the candle of the prophets. Let's see. Um, and we, we looked at the prophecies, um, of which there are many, many, that all coalesced on one historical person, of course, by the name of Jesus. And uh, that's the prophet's candle. Now today we're going to look at a second candle we're going to light, and this one I'm going to call the ancestor's candle. Because if you look at the, the story of Jesus in the Bible, it begins with an genealogy. And we didn't just pop up here, nor did Jesus. He had roots. He had genealogical roots. He had a family tree, just as we do. And God chose to give us Jesus's family tree in Matthew. And then he does it again in Luke. And he's going to do it in a different way in John. Mark is the only gospel that doesn't include a genealogy of Jesus. So this is going to be the candle that is going to, for which we're going to give thanks that Jesus had ancestors. And today we're going to look at one of the passages in the Bible that people generally skip because they think this is boring, a bunch of names. And I hope by the end of today you'll realize it really isn't boring at all. Um, one of the shows that I really like a lot on television, I haven't seen it for a while, but maybe some of you have seen it on PBS. It's called Finding Your Roots. Have any of you ever watched that? Yes. Um, professor Gates, who's a Harvard uh, University professor, what he does is he brings usually two or three people, and he tells their story, and then he goes into their genealogical background. And he always finds things that the people who he's interviewing have no idea. In fact, it's oftentimes full of surprises. He will sometimes find family members they never knew they had. And by the way, recently some of my family did some of my genealogical background, and we have family members that we've just uncovered that I didn't know existed. And you might have them, too. He's going to find in almost every one of the people he interviews, there's some people that he discovers who have pasts that are unsavory. Oftentimes, in this country, slave owners. That's a very common, common theme. Then, sometimes, he's going to find um, people who are exposed in the family background who are incredibly heroic. They never knew they had such incredible heroes in their background. They will um, sometimes have ethnicity. They think they're like Italian, and they find that they're not Italian. They're actually German or some other such thing. And then, of course, there are some big shocks that they never expected. For example, if you go on Ancestry.com, you'll, you'll notice that Tom Hanks, the actor who played Mr. Rogers in a movie, is actually related to Mr. Rogers six generations back, and he had no idea, which is uh, an interesting historical anomaly. This morning, um, we're going to look at Jesus' genealogical background. 
Um, as you know, um, genealogies are very, very popular today. 23andMe, Ancestry.com, CRI Genetics, Living and DNA, and on and on. There are many, many companies that you can take a swab from your mouth and they can tell you your genealogical roots. Now, in America today, very few people can go be past their great-grandparents. I can't. I have no idea. I know I, I'm, I've only met one grandparent. That's all I've ever met. My wife has never met any of her grandparents. And I know who my grandfather's parents were, but that's as far back as I can go. Great-grandparents. That's not very many generations uh, at all. In fact, um, it's, uh, um, it's, it's a, a problem in America. Most of us have no idea of our roots. Why is this so? Well, for one, we are, um, we're not an oral culture. We tend not to remember things orally. We remember them written down, but you know, we don't even um, write them down much. We as a society don't value our roots. We're a mobile society, so we move around from place to place all the time. But in previous um, societies, over the history of the whole world, people didn't move very much. They stayed in one place for generation after generation. And also, maybe because we think of the present as so important, we, we despise what took place in the past. So we are not a culture that has much of an idea of our roots. However, our roots shape us more than we know. On my side... If I went back into my roots, I and my great-grandparents lived in Norway, and it was my grandfather in the, around 1917 that came to this country as an immigrant through Canada. And that's where my roots began in this nation. Now, my wife, it's quite a different story. Her, her roots go back to the 1600s in this country. And her family was involved in the Revolutionary War. She would be a D-A-R, a daughter of the American Revolution. So her roots are quite, quite ancient. If I go into my roots, we find, and I have a copy, that one of my ancestors has the patent for the bicycle pump. Sold it to Schwinn. I think if it was for $10. Did not a good deal. In my family, we have orphans. Of course, we have immigrants. My grandfather, who my mother never knew, her father, was a bigamist. He married two women at the same time and never divorced them. Um, I come from my mother's side, was on welfare all of her life growing up. So we know poverty. We have in my family uh, mental illness and suicide and some dark chapters. And yet also in my family, we have a, a Bible college president. And we have a thoracic surgeon and people, pastors like myself. So my background and my wife's is, 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 is rather mixed. All kinds of people, good, bad, and ugly. And I suspect if you went very far into your genealogical background, you'd find the very same thing. Well, today, we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. As I stated when I lit the ancestor candle, gee, the Bible records three genealogies of Jesus. The one we're going to look at today is in the Gospel of Matthew. That's Jesus' paternal genealogy through his legal father, 
Joseph. Now remember, in every society of the world, when a child is adopted, they are part of the family with all the full rights of inheritance. That's what it means to be adopted. It's very, very, very important. So we find that Jesus' legal genealogy is recorded by Matthew. Why? Because Matthew is intent in his gospel to explain that Jesus is a legal descendant of Abraham and David. Legally. That's his legal genealogy. Luke, on the other hand, most scholars believe, demonstrates or tells us the blood genealogy of Jesus through Mary, his mother. So that's his blood genealogy. That's his, if you will, that's his human genealogy. And then John, in a very different kind of genealogy, he goes back to eternity past, and he gives us Jesus' deity genealogy. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing that was made that has been made. And then we quoted it. And this word became flesh and lived among us. So there we have his divine genealogy, his royal genealogy in Matthew, his human genealogy in Luke, and his divine genealogy in John. Today, we're going to look at his genealogy in the book of Matthew. And I entitled this, Oh, Christmas Tree. You might be thinking of the tree, but that's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the tree of his genealogy. We're going to look at Jesus' genealogical tree. And as we do, we're going to find that it's it's packed with very comforting news about the nature of God and God's relationship to us as human beings. Besides, it's an incredible testimony to God's generosity, his grace, and his goodness. So, If you have a Bible, look at one of the parts of the scriptures that you're very, very likely to skip. Now, when you come to the genealogies in the Bible, and there are many of them, you're you're likely to look at all these names that you cannot pronounce, and you say, oh, okay, you just skip that over, because you think, what profit could there possibly be in a whole long list of names? But this is how the New Testament begins. Interestingly, you don't pick this up in English, but if we had a Hebrew Bible right now, these are the very first words of the New Testament. These are the generations of Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrew. These are the generations of Jesus. Now, when you hear that, you go, so what? But that's because you aren't Jewish. If you were Jewish and you heard those words, these are the generations of Jesus, you would know immediately that over and 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 over again, the book of Genesis says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. These are the generations of Jacob. These are the generations of Isaac. These are the generations of person of Ishmael. That is the major theme from the book of, the, of, of Genesis. And Matthew, when he writes his gospel, being Jewish, writing to the Jewish people, he takes that line from the book of Genesis and he begins the New Testament with these words. This, these are the generations of Jesus. 
I titled this section, A New Genesis. Because what Matthew is trying to say to us now is, now God began the creation of the world and calling the man Abraham and calling Jacob and others. But now he has begun a new beginning, a new Genesis, a new start for all humanity through the person of Jesus. So in our translations, it goes this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Now, of course, those three names are very important. Jesus, David, and Abraham. Jesus, of course, is the one who epitomizes the new covenant that God made through, that God prophesied through Jeremiah, that one day the Messiah would come. Jesus is that covenant. Abraham, of course, is the covenant God made many, many years ago with Abraham, an unconditional covenant that God said, through you and your seed, Abraham, the entire world, every single person that's ever lived will be blessed from someone from your seed. And David, God said to David, David, you have so pleased me as the man after God's own heart that you, through you, David, I will raise up a king who will reign on the throne of David forever, all eternity. So Matthew says, I'm going to tell you now the roots, the Christmas tree, if you will, of Jesus, who is the Messiah, of David, who is the promised king, and of Abraham. Well, the principle is obvious. Jesus, the Messiah, inaugurates a brand new beginning for human beings. And by the way, every single day of every single year for every single person on earth, this very day, every person who's ever lived looks at their watch, opens a calendar, looks on the TV, the radio, every place you go, every person on earth today. And what do you see? 2021. What's that? Every person on earth this day, every person on earth recognizes, though they do not know it, that a brand new Genesis has taken place some 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus Christ because we date our time. Who? The whole world. We date our time, B.C., the birth of Christ, and A.D., the year of our Lord. And of course, we may not know it, you see, Jesus' birth was pivotal to all life on planet Earth. But now Matthew's going to dive into Jesus' genealogy. And the first section is going to deal with Jesus' royal roots. That is, I mean, not, not royal, rather, his Jewish roots. In this section, he is going to connect Jesus' roots with the, the first person of the Jewish nation, the father of the Jewish people, Abraham. Here's how verses 2 through 6 read. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of, Solom, of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, those are probably names, many of which you have have seen. What you saw in that genealogy took in dates, it took it from the time of Abraham, which we know definitively, there's no question on this, was around the year 2000 B.C., 4,021 years ago, Abraham walked on this planet. No question about it. It takes uh, this genealogy from the time of Abraham to the time of David. 1,000 BC, 3,021 years ago, no question, a man named David walked on this planet and was a king in Jerusalem. So in this first section, he takes the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to to David, encompassing a period of 1,000 years. Now, do your math. How many names were there? If you counted them, you would count 14. And if you do your math, 14 generations in 1,000 years means, ooh, it doesn't work out real well. That means a lot of those people were very, very old. And you know people's lifespans from Abraham onward was not that long. And so this genealogical background has gaps in it. Now, when people like Americans who are a little bit um, nuts, when we see that, we think, well, that's not accurate. And that is just an expression of how ignorant we are as Americans. I happen to live in Africa, and I, I know how Africans did genealogies. Some of my students would say, well, my father was in Swati. Mswati lived 300 years ago. That's not your father. Oh, and they say, oh, and this is my father. And then I'd meet, oh, and this is my father. Well, they did have polygamy, but polygamy has only one father. But you see, they called their uncle's father, and usually they call a prominent relative in the past their father. That's normal. That's the way genealogies were done. So we say, well, a genealogy has to be birth from father to son. Well, that's the way we see it. But that is not the way the Bible, the people who wrote the Bible saw it. Because what um, Matthew is clearly trying to do is not to state every link in the chain, but he's trying to do something with the numbers to communicate something theologically. Because you see, 14 is a very important number. 14 is seven times two. Seven is the perfect number. So what Matthew is trying to say, even though we know this, because the Chronicles tell us some of the gaps in his genealogy. What he's trying to tell us is, I've picked out here 14 names to take us from Abraham to David. This is Jesus' Jewish genealogy. But did you see what's in the genealogy? Half of you here are female. You don't belong in genealogies. You see, in ancient genealogies, they did not list women. And if they were going to list women, who would they have listed? It's obvious. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, the great women of the faith. But did you find their names in that list? They're not there. Who do you find? Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. They're not Jewish. They're not Jewish. Tamar might have been Jewish, but she was probably a Gentile. She's a prostitute. And she committed incest with Judah. Rahab? 
She also was a prostitute. She was a prostitute by profession and a Canaanite who lived in Jericho. And Ruth is a Moabite, the implacable enemies of the Jews. What are they doing in there? And by the way, Abraham wasn't a a, a saint. Twice we know from the Bible that uh, Abraham tried to pawn off his wife by lying and saying that she was his sister. And guess what his son Isaac did? The exact same thing. And guess what Isaac's son did? Do you know what Isaac's son's name is? The big fat liar. That's his son's name. We call it Jacob. But in what that means in Hebrew is the big fat liar. So you've got Father Abraham, the, the liar, and then you've got Isaac, the liar, and then you've got the big fat liar, Jacob. And then guess what his sons do? They commit the ultimate lie by telling their father that they're his beloved son, Joseph, has been killed when in fact they've sold him into slavery. Liar after liar after liar after liar until finally God breaks the cycle through a man named Joseph. Now this is not, this is not your, your, your really good people. This is what you might want to call a rogues gallery. That's who they are. Um, Jesus identifies with people who are adulterers and murderers, and liars, and prostitutes, and Gentiles, and Canaanites, and Moabites. Why? Well, Jesus' roots are a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, chosen people and pagans, righteous people and unrighteous people, male and female, good people, bad people, ugly people, just like ours. Some time ago, one of my daughters did the DNA test, and uh, we expected it to come back mostly, uh, partly Scandinavian because of my background, and largely British because of my wife's background, but here shows up, I I forget if it was 2% West African. Well, what does that mean? That means that probably in our genealogical background, someone who is a slave owner, and of course was sexually involved with a slave. (laughs) That's in my background. I told you some of the unsavory things that are in my family tree, and all of our family trees have something similar to that. But remember, this is, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Someone wrote this. There is no pattern of righteousness in the genealogy of Jesus. There's none. Why? God is in the business of busting down the barriers we put up between each other. He busts ethnic barriers because you got Jews and Gentiles. He busts socioeconomic barriers because you got slaves and free. He busts gender barriers because you've got male and female. He busts moral barriers because you got saints and sinners. He busts spiritual barriers because you got righteous and unrighteous people. You see, God... Jesus' generation, his genealogy is pretty much like ours. And guess what? At Christmas time, we tend to forget Jesus' genealogical roots. You see, at Christmas time, the economic barriers between the haves and the have-nots tend to be exacerbated. The very thing Jesus did not support. In, in popular Santa Claus myth, we, pro- we proclaim to our world works. When Santa Claus gets your letter, you know what he will say. 
Have you been good the way you should? Or, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. That's not God's way. That's the way of works. God's way is the way of grace, because in truth, we're all mixtures of naughty and nice, and no one's good. You see, Christmas and Jesus is all about grace, and his genealogy points to that. Well, we go from his Jewish roots, and now Matthew switches to his royal roots. The next section is going to be the names of many of the kings of Judah. Now remember, remember from last week, from the very beginning, at the time of Jacob, 4,000 years ago, God said that the Messiah would have to come from the tribe of Judah. And so now we're going to find roughly 20 kings, every single one of them related to each other. I don't know anywhere else in history where you have 20 generations, all of them father and son, and here they are. These are Jesus's royal roots. And by the way, I happen to be the only commoner in my family. Everyone else in my family is royalty. I don't think you knew that. Because we have at home, I was going to bring it today, but I forgot, we have my wife's genealogy going back to uh, Charlemagne. She's related to Charlemagne. By the way, there are millions of people related to Charlemagne, I think. And he, of course, was the king of the Franks, the founder of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire, a very, very famous person. So there's royalty in my family way, way, way back. And so I'm a commoner. But now we're going to look at Jesus's royal roots. Here they go. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We know that is Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa, and Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, and Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Ammon, and Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Well, the section I just read there for you starts at David. We know the date of David is 1000 BC. Through the time of Jeconiah and his brothers, Zedekiah, which takes us to 586 BC. So the genealogical line that we have here, also 14 in number. Again, there's some missing ones. We know that from the Old Testament. This one takes us from a period of about, um, about 400 to 500 years from 1000 BC to 586 BC. Now, you probably have heard most of these names. Um, you certainly have heard of, of David. And then we, in, we hear about this woman who was Uriah's wife. We know who that is. That's Bathsheba. Bathsheba and David had an adulterous affair. David then proceeded to kill her, Bathsheba's husband, who was his the head of his secret service. Can you imagine? You have an affair with your, the head of your secret service's wife, the man whose life, who give his life for you in an instant, who would take a bullet or a spear or an arrow for you in an instant. You kill him. And it got much worse. Because not only did he kill Uriah, after he, took his, he had an affair with his wife, then what did David do? He hid his crime. 
And then it got way worse because what does David do now? He takes Bathsheba to be his wife. People think that she's pregnant because of her husband Uriah. And what does everyone in the kingdom think? Oh, our king is such a wonderful, godly man. He cares for damsels in distress when in fact he is a murderer until one person, a prophet named Nathan, confronts him to the face. You are the man who has done this thing, this evil thing. Well, that's how he begins with David. And by the way, as I mentioned before, David is the only person in the Bible who's called the man after God's own heart. By the way, if that doesn't make you scratch your head, you don't have a head. Because this man's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a cover-up artist. He's a horrible father. He's like everything bad you can think of, and yet he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the writer of many of the passages of the Bible. He is the person in the entire Bible spoken of more than anyone else except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is number two in the whole Bible. This man who did so many evil things, he's the one whose heart best reflected the heart of God. What? Obviously, God's not looking for perfect track records because if he was, David would not even be in the top 10 million in his list. David wouldn't make it in the far first trillion of his list. He'd be one of the worst people alive. God's not looking for perfect track records. What is he looking for? Moralism? People who live the best life, who, who's the scales of their good and bad tipped to the proper way? He can't be. David wouldn't be there. He's looking for a heart that trusts God, who truly repents of their sin and follows God with a whole heart. That's David. Look at his Psalms. Psalm 51. Oh, he's, oh, his psalm of repentance after he sinned is incredible. That is a godly heart. He's looking for people who know who they are, who know their sin, and they know the grace of God. That's David. So it begins with David, and then it goes through his various relatives, <laughs> all of them related to him. Now, if you look at that list, and I've done this several times. I did it again this week. I went through every one of the kings of Judah, in every one of the passages, you find them in the Kings and in the Chronicles. The Kings give the, the perspective on, the, on each of these people from the perspective of the historian. The Chronicles give the same information with a little bit different from the perspective of the priests. It is the Chronicles oftentimes that give us the spiritual analysis of each of these Kings. And you can easily divide them into three categories— Godly kings, ungodly kings, and eh, mixed in between. I've done this many times, and I hate when I do it because I don't like the results. By the way, you might want to do it someday. Go through all the kings in Chronicles. Not the kings of Israel. That's different. These are the kings of Judah. The kings of Israel are multiple dynasties. They kill off each other. They're a bunch of idiots. None of them ever followed God. None, ever. But in Judah, you have godly kings, kings like Josiah and Hezekiah. But you also have horribly evil kings like Manasseh and Ammon. But if you look at from father to son from 20 generations, this is what you unfortunately will find. Never does a godly father have a godly son. Never. I didn't make that up. I just read it. Never does a partially godly father 
ever have a son who is more than partially godly? And all the godly kings of Israel come from ungodly fathers. All of them. Well, you don't want to preach that. (laughs) Because that's horrible. But you can draw a few things from it. One, power corrupts. And absolute power, like these kings had, corrupts absolutely. They may be different than us because they were kings, and power will corrupt almost everyone except for Jesus and a very, very few other people. But this is something we must remember. God has no grandchildren. You cannot pass on the Christian faith through blood. (laughs) It's only through faith. God has no grandchildren. But God is faithful to his promises. He's always faithful. Because God's promises are unconditional, and God's promises are irrevocable, and his promises are eternal. They are sure, though they may be slow. They are not nullified by human sin. If God's promises were nullified by human sin, we wouldn't have a Jesus. His promises are not subject to human whim or changeableness. You see, spiritual privilege does not guarantee the spiritual success of your children. By the way, Hezekiah, a godly king, his son is Manasseh, the most ungodly of the kings. And his son, Manasseh's son Ammon, was just as ungodly as his father. And Ammon's son is Josiah, the godliest of them all. Where does that come from? It's amazing. It's amazing, amazing, amazing grace is what you see when you look at this list. But there's one in particular that you must zero in on. His name is Jeconiah. Did you remember when you saw that name? Jeconiah was so evil that a curse was pronounced on him and said, your son can never, can never be in the line of the the Messiah. Well, here we have Matthew's genealogy, and there is Jeconiah. This is Jesus' legal, legal uh, genealogy through his father, Joseph. But guess what? If you look at the genealogy in the book of Luke, Jeconiah is not there. Because the, 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 the genealogy of Jesus in Luke is not traced through Solomon. It's traced through Nathan. One of Jesus' one of one of uh, the other sons. And so the word of God again, without contradiction, shows that the blood genealogy of Luke, uh, of Jesus, told to us in the book of Luke, does not mention Jeconiah, because Jesus was from the royal family of David, but not from the line of Jeconiah because of the curse. It's interesting if you follow that through. Well, now at last we come to the part of the Jesus genealogy with a bunch of names that we don't know anything about. And here they go. I call this Jesus's obscure roots. This is verses 12 to 16. And after the Babylon, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Now you've probably heard those names because they are in the Old Testament. But now from here on out, Never heard of them. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Elihud. 
and Elihu the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and the, Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You see, he doesn't connect the fact that, that, that Joseph is the blood relative of Jesus, because he wasn't. Mary was, but not Joseph. Well, how many of these names did you recognize after um, Shealtiel and Zerubbabel? And get down to Joseph? Uh, but we don't know who in the world they are. And in fact, uh, King Herod tried to uh, uh, get rid of all the genealogical records. He didn't quite succeed. But the Jewish people kept very detailed genealogical records. Herod tried to get rid of all of it. But here you just had a whole bunch of names, over 10 of them, we've never heard about. We don't know one thing about them. We don't know if they're good, bad, or ugly. We have no, no idea at all. But they are part of Jesus' genealogy. We had his genealogy from Abraham, and we recognized most of those names. Then we had genea Jesus' genealogy from David, and we recognized all of those names because extensively they're written about in the Old Testament. But we come to the third part of his genealogy, and we don't know squat about any of them. But they're part of his genealogy. So what? Well, people whose names are unknown to us are still absolutely important in our lives. Jesus' genealogy reminds us of the importance of seemingly unremarkable and unimportant names of people but they're very much a part of us. This is a plaque that is found in Kentucky, in Hodgenville, where Abraham Lincoln was born. This is a plaque, and this is what it reads. It, 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 it records a conversation that took place in that town in the 1800s. Any news down to village, Esri? Well... Squire McLean's gone to Washington to see Madison swore in. An old spellman tells me this Bonaparte fellow has captured most of Spain. What's new out here, neighbor? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except for a new baby born at Tom Lincoln's. Nothing ever happens out here. In this tiny little town at which nothing ever happens. A little baby was born that day. And his name? Abraham Lincoln, our greatest president. You see, you think, oh, nothing ever happens in, in Riverton, Wyoming. <laughs> nothing. This is the backside of Wyoming. Oh, you don't know. You have no idea. The greatest people in the, in the history of humanity could be from this town. You have no idea. After all, Jesus from Nazareth. That's not some hot spot, I promise you. There's nothing. Nor was Hodgenville, Kentucky, when Abraham Lincoln was born. You see, every single name is very, very important. Well, it, the passage ends in verse 17. Matthew summarizes. Thus, there were 14 generations from, in all from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Again, we're dealing with, first of all, Abraham, 2000 B.C., David, 1000 B.C., the exile, 586 B.C., and then, of course, the time of Jesus. They think he was born in 4 B.C. Because of history, of course, is God's story, his story, and it's symmetrical. Well, so what? 
What, what would we take from a whole bunch of names that highlighted Jesus' Jewish genealogy and his royal genealogy and his obscure genealogy? What do we take from that? Let me give you a few things. Number one, we are in a time of year now where there's a lot of glitz, there's a lot of myth, there's a lot of hullabaloo, but let us not forget that the central piece of this time is Christ's mass. This is primarily about, about Jesus. It, it's not about myth. It's not about lights and, and gifts and music. It's, it's about Jesus, and it's historical reality, not myth. Secondly, Jesus' genealogy should remind us again that he is the pivot of history. He is the fulcrum. All of history before Jesus was pointing to him. All of history from that point on is pointing back to him. And one day he will return. That's what Advent means. He will come again. Jesus is the pivot of all human history. Jesus' genealogy also reminds us of the absolute scandal of grace. Not the, 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 the idea of all religions that religion is primarily about good works. It is not. It's primarily about grace. And we, we may be embarrassed about our past, the sins we've committed, the things we should have done that we have not done, the bad things we have done. But remember, though we may be embarrassed by our past, God is not embarrassed to call us his own. After all, he called David the man after God's own heart. That should give us all a whole lot of joy, just that and alone. Also, Jesus' genealogy highlights his humanity. The book of Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are. Yet without sin, he knows us. He understands us. He loves us just as we are. He can sympathize with our weakness. His genealogy points to that. Jesus' genealogy shows us God's faithfulness to his promises, even when his people are not famous, are, are, are not faithful. And he, his genealogy shows us the incredible importance of ordinary people who's, who all we know is their name, nothing else how important they were in the pivot of human history. But last of all, your name is important to God. In the Old Testament, Isaiah tells us about God. He says, God says, I've engraved my people on the palms of my hand. If we could look at God's palms, which of course he doesn't have, if we could look at them, they're full of names. Not great events. He doesn't care about events. He cares about names. Our names are engraved on God's hands. Jesus said this, I know my sheep by name. And the Apostle John writes this in the book of Revelation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, the Antichrist. All whose names have not been written in the book of life. There are exceptions to those who will worship the Antichrist. Who are they? The people whose names have been written in the book of life. Names are important to God. So is every one of our names. And so what we're about to do now 
is to celebrate the event which enabled the holy God to write our names on his palms. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the human being, the Son of Man and the Son of God, he died for our sins and was raised again from the dead. And he said that if you place your faith in me, in what I've done for you, your name will be recorded in the book of life.